G'day, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation, and welcome to episode 50 of the WP Elevation podcast. We made it. We have made half a century, 50 episodes in the can. It is hard to believe. Uh, It's been a long time. I think that means we're at week number 49. I think we missed a week somewhere around Easter last year. I think it just slipped right through the cracks. Anyway, um, we're almost a year old, which is very exciting. And in this episode, I get to interview one of my all-time web design heroes, a man that has been inspiring me since 2007 when I first read his revolutionary, groundbreaking book called Transcending CSS. I'm talking about, of course, Andy Clark from Stuff and Nonsense, uh, affectionately known as Malarkey on the web. Now, usually at this point in the in the um, introduction of an episode, I'm supposed to tell you, I'm supposed to tell you, I can't speak today, I've just come off a call with Andy and I'm a little bit shaken, <laughs> I've been that inspired, uh, I'm supposed to tell you how you'll be transformed uh, after this episode, and that's a way of hooking you in, you see, to listen or to the episode or watch the episode. Now, of course, this episode, there is no video, because Andy lives in a rural part of the UK where the internet is uh, so slow that we tried to do it with video and it just wouldn't work. So this is an audio-only episode. But what I'm supposed to do here now is hook you in and tell you how you'll be transformed after listening to this episode. But you know what? That would kind of be doing Andy a disservice, I think. There is just so much good stuff about what Andy says, his philosophies, his approach to web design. Uh, I consider Andy one of the true craftsmen of web design. He doesn't use WordPress, which is, I know, a little bit controversial, but, you know, there's good reason he doesn't use WordPress. I really like what he has to say about it. I love some of the tools that he mentions. I love his approach. Um, You know, Andy, I think, for me, it it is like learning from a true craftsman, a, a, a master of their craft. He would dispute that, but for me, this is not about, well, you know, you're going to learn how to get more leads or you're going to learn how to, you know, manage client expectations or you're going to learn how to write great proposals. I can't pinpoint this down, but what I promise you is that if you listen to this episode, see, now I'm actually going to do what I'm supposed to do. If you listen to this episode, you will be a different person by the end of it and you'll be approaching your craft in a different way by the end of it. Um, We are giving away a prize. There is a competition this week, so not everything has changed. The prize is a copy of Jason Santamaria's new book at A Book Apart. Uh, It's called On Web Typography, which I thought was only um, uh, appropriate given Andy's love for good design and good typography. Uh, You'll get a physical copy of the book in the mail, plus you will get an electronic version of the book. So stick around for details on how you can enter that competition. I am truly humbled by the amount of time Andy Clark spent with us on this episode of the podcast. Um, You know, I'm not going to sell it to you anymore. It's well worth listening to. Stay with us. Let's elevate. This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. This episode of the WP Elevation Podcast is brought to you by Video User Manuals, the first, the only, the best way to teach your clients how to use WordPress. Uh, You know it by now, it installs over 60 video tutorials in your client's WordPress dashboard to teach them how to use WordPress, how to use SEO by Yoast, and how to use WooCommerce. Of course, you can activate and deactivate any of the videos. You can add your own videos, you can rebrand it, stick your own logo on it, all sorts of crazy stuff. 
Uh, and it has this really cool feature where you can set it up once, branded the way you like it, save that as your master profile. And so next time you install it, you just tick use master profile, click save, and you're done. Uh, it's pretty nifty if I do say so myself. And you can get it for just $1 for your first month. Install it on a client site, check it out, see the true power of it. Uh, get it at videousermanuals.com or you can check out more and watch a video at wpelevation.com slash vum. All right, the elevation tip this week is one of my favorites. It's something I'm very passionate about. Get the content first from your clients before you start designing anything. I promise you, if you have the content up front, it makes the design and the development job a lot easier and it makes managing client expectations a lot easier. So get the content first. If you need help getting the content, listen to this episode and Andy will give you some tips. And of course, you can also check out gathercontent.com who do a fabulous job of helping you collect content from your clients and I don't get paid to say that. I know it's crazy, I should, but I don't. Anyway, uh, without further ado, I think we should just get straight into this because this is an epic, epic, epic episode I just said that three times. Uh, it's one of my favorite episodes. Andy Clark is an absolute inspiration. Um, and I sincerely hope he does come out and spend our summer here in Australia and I get to have a beer with him because that would just be an absolute hoot and a highlight. So without further ado, and of course, those of you who know, um, if you are familiar with what I've been saying and been following me for some time, you probably know that I'm a big fan of Andy's Contract Killer, which if any of us in the web design space don't have contracts with our clients, Andy has open sourced his contract and it's available on GitHub. We talk about that. All the links are in the show notes uh, at wpelevation.com slash Andrew Clark. Clark has an E on the end of it. Uh, no spaces, underscores, hyphens, or other weird punctuation marks or grammar involved. So check it out at wpelevation.com slash Andrew Clark for everything we speak about. And there are a ton of links in the show notes for this episode. And it's episode 50. I'm very excited. And there's no video. Uh, what the hell? Let's get on with it. Let's go meet Andy Clark. G'day, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation. And I'm very excited to have with me for episode number 50 of the WP Elevation podcast, one of my tried and true dinky die fair dinkum web design heroes, Andy Clark. Hey, Andrew, how are you? Good day. <laughs> well done. <laughs> See, I'm localizing. I've I've watched Bondi Rescue enough times to know how to speak to an Australian. Oh dear. See, this is the problem that we have in Australia is that our international counterparts pick up a show like Bondi Rescue and think that it's representative of life in Australia. I know exactly what it's like to live in Australia. I know exactly about you Australians because I've seen Bondi Rescue, obviously. That's, that's right. Um Nothing to declare is what we call it over here, which is like your a program about your borders, right? Border, uh, border which is oh, yeah. fantastic. Oh yeah, I yes. love it. Yeah, great show, isn't it? Yeah, Board it's really fabulous. Well, it just make, makes me laugh every time because obviously you're not allowed to bring food or that, any kind of organic right. matter into Australia. That's right. You're not allowed to bring food in. So you get the people coming through, usually, you know, usually from uh, from China or and places like that, and. You know, they get to the border, they get off the plane in Sydney, and um, and the the customs person says, "Do you have any food in the bag?" And they go, "No food in bag, no food in bag." You've written no food in the bag. Do you have any food in the bag? And they go, "No food in bag." Adamant that there's no food in the bag. Yeah. And then the customs official opens up the bag, and it's full of food, <laughs> full of food, <laughs> and not just any food, but you know, stuff that people shouldn't eat, yeah. and uh, like like ramen and. 
Oh no, it's it's it's, it's hilarious. So I I know I know all about Australia from watching your TV. When we arrived back from Thailand last week, and we flew into Melbourne Airport, and there are signs everywhere saying. Uh, Channel 7 are recording their border security show here today. So if you do not want to be filmed, please contact a member of the crew and let them know. So it's an opt-out process. You have to actually put your hand up and say, no, 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 don't film me. Uh, And of course, when you do that, the first thing they do is put the cameras on you. Um, It's a bizarre thing. Well, it's my staple. if, If I can't sit down on a Saturday evening and watch a fat program... Because obese, a year to save my life, is also a favourite. <laughs> then, then nothing to declare yeah. has to has to come a close second. Oh, it's brilliant! It's brilliant. Um, so, listen, before we start talking about, I, I should probably, you know, I mean, we're completely off script here, and that's okay. I'm okay with that because I'm not a control freak. Clearly, um, you you have a script. Well, you know, we'll have a loose script. Uh, but one of the things I do want to do is I want to. Let people know that I'm going to be giving away a $50 Amazon voucher today. Uh, and in order to get your hands on that so that you can go and buy your favourite book, uh, one uh, hopefully that Andy Clark has authored, um, then stick around for details on how to enter that competition a little bit later on because we have a question for you that you will need to answer. Now, we probably should talk a little bit about web design, Andy. Um, but before we do, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, that's a difficult question. I suppose I had different ambitions to my son who wanted to be a seagull. A seagull? Mm. Is that because Which... he likes chips or? <laughs> I don't know, but seagulls love chips. <laughs> I don't know, which is not actually how he turned out to be, because he turned out to be a geologist, which is, which is not quite the same. You don't do a PhD in, in diving for chips, which <laughs> you do for geology, apparently. It starts in September. So I, I don't remember having many ambitions except to do what I ultimately did, which is to go to art school. Right. And I remember it being sort of fairly well mapped out for me from quite a young age in terms of the, you know, the path that I would take. And, you know, you'd go to school and then high school and sixth form and then, you know, university, art college, uh, which is exactly what I did. So it was only when I left art school that I had that kind of, oh, my God, what am I going to do with my life panic? Mm. Uh, but the last thing I expected to do would be, you know, was doing web design. Obviously, there wasn't uh, the web back then. Mm. Um, but I, I don't think that I expected even to be making my money out of design. So that's, uh, that's essentially how I got here. And when did you, at what point did you discover the web and think, okay, this is, uh, you know, uh, this is an idea worth pursuing and maybe I can make a career here out of designing for the web? Well, I was working at a small below-the-line ad agency just south of London, and we were doing we were doing quite a lot of below-the-line ad work, mm-hmm. mainly for car dealers. Um, so we weren't working on main car brands; we were working on dealer chains, mm. and we'd be we'd be writing you know terrible taglines. If there was a big <laughs> sale, we'd do monster offers, and there'd be a you know a picture of Godzilla or something. Uh-huh drawn in there which is really cheesy stuff yeah and that was about kind of 96 time yeah 96 97 and people started sort of asking about the web you know it was 
something that was just becoming part of like, public consciousness, I suppose. And the boss, the guy that ran the studio, he started playing around with the web in Visual Studio. Oh, yeah. And I would see what he did and thought, that looks terrible. <laughs> yeah. um, and then set out to you know, learn for myself, not in Visual Studio. So that's how I really became interested. And it was funny now looking back in that I really wanted to focus on the web side of things ultimately. And he was the sort of person that said, oh, no, you know, we'll carry on doing the newspapers. You know, I don't think the web's ever going to be a significant part of our business. <laughs> oh, dear. It's funny how some of these decisions get made. Uh, we're driving back from the airport after we arrived from Thailand and you drive past this huge printing press that was built by The Age uh, newspaper, which is owned by Fairfax here in Australia. It was this huge brand-new custom-built printing press to, to print newspapers and it was built, you know, it was built within the last 10 years. It was probably six years ago that it was built, you know, and, as we, and it's completely empty now. It's, it's, it's desolate. And as you drive past it, I was thinking... Didn't anybody in that boardroom say, hang on a second, spending millions of dollars on a brand new custom printing press building out near the airport's a bad idea because in a few years' time we're not... I mean, now, the age, they print smaller newspapers and they don't print as many of them because, of course, it's all online. It's taken everybody by surprise, I think, which in, in a good way. You know, I wouldn't have, uh, have really wanted to do anything else for, you know, for the last... 16 years and uh, I, th I think it's, it's been enormously beneficial to us mm. how, how do you describe what you do in one sentence when some when you meet someone for the first time and they say hey Andy what do you do what's your elevator pitch so to speak I now fight the temptation not to say web designer um, oh. it's a it's a a tricky one because it, it carries quite a lot of baggage. But I still firmly believe that I am a web designer and I'm quite proud of that. And I'll try to ignore when people come back with, you know, my nephew or my grandson <laughs> is a web designer, <laughs> which is fine. Because then I'll usually retort with, you know, some kind of complicated terminology just to shut them up. Right. But I, I, I fight, I resist the urge not to say it. Um, you know, in the past, we've, we've used all kind of euphemisms, and I think people still do. Mm. Uh, whether you are a UX designer or a, um, a digital product designer mm -hmm. or something like that, mm. um, which I think, are, you know, we've, we've come up with more and more creative titles just because we didn't want to say web designer. Mm. But, you know, I'm not a graphic designer. Um, the majority of what we make goes on screen. On screen. Uh, so I suppose web designer still still works. Mm. So you're not an online solutions architect? No, I'm not a front-end warrior. <laughs> a front-end warrior. I saw this, somebody, I saw oh, this I last week, actually. Right. Somebody, uh, somebody tweeted the link to... Uh, to a photo of some of some guy's slide deck right. at a conference where he described himself as a front end warrior, warrior, which was, uh, yeah, that was that's going a little bit too far. Yeah. Uh, what, about, what about a conversion optimization specialist? I have no idea what you just said. Does that <laughs> to do with central heating? <laughs> uh, I think it's someone who specialises in helping companies get maximum conversions from their optimising their websites to get maximum conversions. 
don't get me started on SEO. <laughs> I, I will get you started on SEO a little bit later, uh, but for now, um, so <clears throat> okay. So what do you? So you're a web designer. I mean, you are. You know, I mean, you are one of. Um, I'm paraphrasing here, but you are an award-winning web designer, one of you know top five agencies of the year at the Net Magazine Awards. So you're not just a web designer, which which in itself is a differentiator that you are actually damn good at what you do. Um, but what do you actually spend most of your time doing day to day? Are you do you live in Photoshop? Do you are you cutting code? Are you designing in the browser? Are you doing admin? Are you doing business development? What do you actually spend most of your time doing? I spend most of my time doing all of those things, actually. Mm. Uh, well, I mean, we to, to to start off, we are a very small business. We are three right now, soon to be four. Mm-hmm. And we've worked from we worked from a studio at our house mm-hmm. for the last sixteen years. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, so we're actually moving into some office space next week. Um, so I've done the the usual trip to IKEA. <laughs> which every every business owner does when they yeah. moves into some new space. Yeah, you have to go to IKEA. You're drawn there like a moth to a flame. <laughs> it's fun, isn't it? But, and I, I hope that the space will help us kind of refocus a little bit because what I really want to do is I want to concentrate on design from much a much more higher level. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, I've done everything. You know, when we started, and and for many many years, I. Did the sales? I, you know, provided estimates to clients. I would do all of the contract work. I would do all of the kind of the business admin, except the accounts. My wife does the accounts because I'm hopeless with numbers. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I would design things, build things, set up CMSs, hosting. It was a, I don't know what would you, the general all round web designer person. Um, and I did that for a very long, long time. But these days, I, I want to concentrate much more on this kind of higher level design. We have another designer that works with us now. Uh, and we have a developer which is working with us kind of part-time. So I want to concentrate much more on the, the higher level design stuff and the direction of the business. Mm. And what, what, what's your chosen design tool? What do you design in? Well, for years and years and years. In fact, I can't remember a time when I designed for the web where I didn't use fireworks. Ah. Back when it was Macromedia, uh, the first kind of thing, Fireworks 2 was my first version, uh, all the way through till literally um, about two months ago. I would live in Fireworks. Wow. Um, and obviously I did a lot of designing in code too because, you know, if you can write HTML and CSS, sometimes it's much, much quicker and much better in terms of presenting ideas mm. for you to actually work in code rather than, uh, rather than working in uh, a graphics tool. But I knew that for a long time ago that the writing was on the wall for fireworks and I've been on the, the hunt for a replacement really. Um, and that's turned out to be Sketch, Bohemian, tool, Bohemian Coding's uh, Sketch tool, which is fabulous. Mm. Now, I yeah, right. That's So this is, so Sketch is... It's not in the browser designing, is it? No, I checked out a few of these new, um, almost responsive tools. Mm. Uh, there's a few of them. There's uh, one that got some attention, which is called Macaw. Mm. Um, and there's another one, Antitype, which looks very promising. And well, a few. And Sketch was the one that a lot of people talk about. 
the difference between Sketch and some of these others is that it's not actually rendering HTML and CSS in the browser. Hmm. So something like uh, Macaw, for example, although you're working with a native Mac app, what you're seeing rendered in the canvas is actually HTML and CSS, and all of the controls are literally rendering shadow, box shadow, border radius, you know, everything. Yeah. Which on the face of it, by the sound of it, actually sounds really good good because it means that oh well i can't design something which ultimately you can't code mm. but actually over the sort of few weeks that i tried these things out i really sometimes wanted to design something that i couldn't code mm. you know i didn't want to be hindered by the implementation too early in a way Mm. Um, and I found them quite creatively limiting. Whereas Sketch is a, you know, it's a wonderful tool. It's an actual, you know, you can you can create vectors in it, for example, which is something that you can't do with some of these other tools. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a much more kind of all round package. And then the other thing about um, the responsive design angle in something like Macor is that it doesn't work the way that I do. It forces you to to work in a particular way when it comes to responsive layouts. So, for example, it means that you have to work uh, desktop down mm. you design a big canvas and then you can create breakpoints to move things around mm. whereas what i've been doing for the last few years is to design from mobile or small screen first mm. and then just introduce layout as you get wider so none of them really work the way that i want them to work so sketch is most definitely um the tool of choice at the moment <clears throat> this is um really interesting uh that you mentioned that you design for mobile devices first. And I want to come back to that and talk a little bit about that in, in, in a moment. Um, but before we talk about that, let's just talk about the business of kind of freelancing for a minute. What's the one thing that keeps you awake at night about being a freelancer or having a, having a, so when I say freelancer, I, what I mean there is being a part of a small design team, whether you're one or a team of three or a team of five, we're all kind of, you know, in that small freelancing space. Um, what's the one thing that keeps you awake at night about about the business? Well, it always comes down to money at the end of the day. I think that as a small business owner or as a freelancer, you're always hungry. Mm. You know, you're always sort of living from project to project. And sometimes, occasionally, you look at the diary, um, you know, a month, six weeks out, and you think, we have nothing. <laughs> Um, and I know that some people have booked a long, long, long way in advance. Um, we've never been quite so successful at that. Mm. We've never, we've never been able to make somebody wait six months for what they really, what they really need. Mm. So we tend to be quite, yeah, quite lean most of the time, um, and that does, that does keep you awake. And you know the usual things that, um, that bother people, I suppose. Uh, you know, overruns. Um, and co and uh, and scheduling conflicts and all that kind of stuff. We've had this recently where we took on a few smaller, lower budget jobs to to fill a hole in the calendar. Um, and you know what it's like: the smaller the project, the longer the thing seems to take. Weirdly, <laughs> um, and you know the less that things run to time. Uh, so. That's exactly the same as everybody else. It's it, it's that it's that stuff. It, it's it's time and money, which is what it always boils down to. Yeah, yeah. 
What do you do when you're not working? How do you how do you stay balanced and you know stop your head from imploding or exploding? Oh no, see, I'm terrible at that. I was talking with John Hicks on Unfinished Business, my podcast, the other day at about exactly this. John Hicks is uh, a brilliant icon designer. He's the guy that I mean, he probably doesn't want to be remembered for this ultimately, but he's the guy that made the Firefox logo. Ah. Oh. Um. And we were talking about Doctor Who, but we were also talking about this work-life balance uh, stuff the other day. And he's much better at it than I do because he, you know, he switches off after work and goes and does something different. I've not been quite so uh, quite so managed, structured in that way. Um, so I've found it quite hard actually to switch off most of the time. So when I'm not working. Um, what do, what do I do now? I mean, we, we, we live in a beautiful part of the world, so we go for walks. Mm. Um, I do love photography, so that's always an excuse to go for a walk. And, you know, I, I, I do fitness. For the last few months, I've been seeing a trainer. And, uh, you know, I've actually quite enjoyed the kind of the fitness side of things. But historically, I've been the guy that, you know, has, has, has been up working till 2, 3 in the morning, five mm. days a week. Right. Um, which, which which isn't really any good for your work life balance and uh, and the bags under your eyes. <laughs> and and what why is that? I mean, is it because is it because this is a common theme? I mean, it's something that I've experienced myself. It's something that just about everyone I've spoken to on the podcast and everyone I've spoken to at functions and events and conferences experiences the same thing in our space. Is it just because you love what you do so much, or is it because you know there's always unfinished business? Uh, podcast plug intended. Um, why do you think it is? I think actually for a long time I hid in work. It was the thing that I felt that I could control and I mm. didn't want to put it down. So, oh. you know, psychologically, uh, and I know a lot of other people do this, you know, you, you, you use one thing to mask the problems in, in others. <laughs> yeah. So I, I did that for a long time. Um, it's not necessarily that I love what I do. You know, I don't love creating web pages um, I don't necessarily love solving people's problems I know that often designers say that it's not about how it looks it's the problems that we're solving mm. and that's why I do web design it's not about that you know I'd, I'd, I was never the sort of person that enjoyed taking cigarette lighters apart and seeing whether I could put them back together again <laughs> you know that's that, that never appealed to me right um, I actually enjoy client interaction i know this is weird for for designers because normally we like to kind of go into a basement and pretend that the world doesn't <laughs> exist except through email or base camp right uh-huh but i actually quite like in fact i really like client interaction um and, and i like sales in particular i like actually the the thrill of winning business really yeah no i love that so that's the kind of thing that actually keeps me going most of the time these days. Anyway, it's the sort of stuff that I'm most interested in. Right. Um, what's the? Uh, this is kind of ties into the question about you know what keeps you awake at night. But if the if you could wave a magic wand and fix one thing in the business right now, what would it be? I think this is not just business; it's life too. I suppose I would like to be financially independent enough so that we have more choices. Mm. I think that that is, 
that's an ultimate kind of goal of mine, and we're a long way from it now. Mm. Um, but I think, and I, I, I do look at people, you know, some of my friends that have been very successful with business who are, you know, financially independent. Mm. Um, and they're able to make choices based on the fact that they don't have to worry about, you know, where, where the, the, the money's coming from in three or four months. Mm. And uh, that, I think, would be a wonderful situation to be in because then I think that that would free up, certainly free up thinking space, brain space, for ultimately being a lot more creative. And I think one of the things that, that we struggle with as independent designers is that often some of the stuff that we have to deal with um, takes away time and energy from going that extra percent, or extra 10% when it comes to making something really special. Um, and I'm really lucky, actually, because my wife, Sue, she handles most of the stuff that I don't want to do or can't do. You know, everything from booking travel arrangements to, you know, handling accounts. I don't need to do any of that kind of stuff. She takes care of that. Um, because if I had to do that too, I don't think I would ever get in that frame of mind where I was able to, you know, to think about things properly. Hmm. So that, that, would, that would be what I would want to do. Create more time and space for creative thinking. Do you have in your business, do you have any kind of recurring revenue model or is it all project-based? No, it's all project-based. The only thing that we have on a recurring basis is things like book and DVD royalties. Uh-huh. So, and obviously, when you produce a new piece of work like that, when we produce a new video, when we produce uh, a book, which we've done a couple of times now, there generally is a, a big spike at the very beginning when the thing comes out. And then, you know, two, three months down the line, it starts to uh, drift onto the long tail. And if you have a, um, a large enough uh, base of sort of passing trade, if you like, um, then that long tail can actually become pretty profitable over the long term. So, you know, if you're a, a book apart, for example, if you're a Jeffrey Zeldman, mm. then obviously with that amount of reach, uh, you know, your residual income can be, can be pretty damn good. Mm. Um, with us it's less so because we don't have such a you know such a big exposure mm. um, but the trick and this is one of the reasons why I'd like to kind of free up more time for a little bit of creative and strategic thinking is that the the ideal situation is to have more spikes to produce more content and to keep putting stuff out which is something that we've not really been very good at over the years you know we've we've often been and this isn't, you know, a pop at clients, but we've often been distracted by client work in a way. And we've often opted for or the necessity of doing client work in the short term and spending, you know, four weeks on a project rather than doing what I think we could have done sometimes, which is to say, actually, I'm going to turn that project down. I'm not going to work for, for that client for four weeks. I'm going to spend four weeks, four weeks writing a piece of content that then is going to become an article that might become a workshop or might become a book, mm. um, which obviously will bring money in over, over the longer term. And I think that's something that we've been particularly poor at and, uh, and, and something I'd like to change. Talking about product, <clears throat> nice segue into talking about product. Uh, so the first time I came across you, I think, was through Transcending CSS, which, if I'm not mistaken, was about 2006 or 2007, I picked that up, and then I got Inspired CSS, the DVD um, 
which was a beautiful uh, production, by the way, um, and then hard-boiled web design in 2011, I think it was. But my question is, uh, rather than just you know, rather than just plug the entire catalogue of Andy Clark, my question is, why did you start making product? Why did you start publishing books and DVDs and and effectively? long form beautifully published tutorials what was the motivation for doing that apart from some revenue well the first book transcending css which you're right was actually 2006 it came out and took about a year to write that came because i was introduced to a publisher who said do you want to write a book as publishers i presume still do this was new writers Uh Um, and they have they have people, they have, um, I forget what they're called now, but, you know, talent spotters, basically, that will go to conferences and listen to talks and, you know, approach people and say, would you like to write a book about that topic? You know, because they're always looking for authors. And that's uh, that's not quite what happened with me. I was actually introduced to a friend of a friend that introduced me to uh, to uh, one of the people in, that was fairly high up in New Riders. And we had that then same conversation. You know, would you like to write a book for us? And at the time... Lots of my friends were also writing books. Um, I mean, books in the in, longer books in the sense that you know they were two hundred pages plus. Mm-hmm. Not really what's become the kind of trend over the last few years, which is for small kind of uh, pocket guide or book apart size books. Mm. You know, eighty to one hundred pages that you can read on a plane. This was at the time when people were spending months of their lives literally writing a book about CSS, like anthologies of the damn stuff. Mm, mm. <laughs> let's go through every – let's explain every single CSS property. And Simon Collison and Andy Budd and Jeremy Keith and lots of people that I know were writing books. And, you know, I had something to say in Transcending and I wanted to say it. So that was the reason why. It wasn't through any kind of great agenda. It wasn't like – we didn't want to do client work. We wanted to do product. It was just because the opportunity came up. What was it a so the so what so you know because I I kind of think that writing a book is the ultimate positioning tool. Um, you know, it's hard to argue with someone who wrote the book, uh, and it's also, from my understanding, leads to kind of speaking gigs at conferences. So was that was that part of was that a conscious part of the strategy? Well look if we write a book we'll get more work speaking at conferences. That's good positioning that will attract bigger clients. No, I've always been flipping hopeless at that. <laughs> and but at least you're honest. <laughs> I know people that I've spoken at conferences alongside and a couple of people spring to mind. Luke Rubluski, the mobile first guy and uh Oh, my God. I've just forgotten her name. Oh, let, cut this out. You can edit this bit, can't you? <laughs> well, you know, I could. <laughs> <laughs> you could, but then you wouldn't have the embarrassing thing that I'd just forgotten this person's name. Um, that speak on a subject that they do consulting on. So they become, for example, in Luke's <clears throat> case, they become the uh, the person that, that talks about mobile first or, you know, Mm. mobile optimization something like that yeah my friend my good friend harry roberts uh he talks about css architecture about uh, object oriented css a lot speaks about that writes about that and has become the guy the go-to guy mm. when you want to talk about you know large-scale css implementations mm. um and naming conventions and systems and structures for css mm. 
he's the guy. Now, I never did that. I ne- I would never think, oh, well, you know, even when I had the biggest platform, which was basically uh, an event apart, which I, I spoke at for many, many years regularly, you know, four, five, six, sometimes seven times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was never, I was always uh, foolish. I was never strategic in what I talked about. You know, I, I wouldn't think to myself, Do you know what, if I, if I kind of push this angle, <clears throat> then maybe it's going to lead to, to consulting work or client work or maybe it'll lead to another book or maybe it'll... So I talked about comics. <laughs> I spent an entire year, and it was good stuff actually, I spent an entire year at an event apart talking about how we can be inspired uh, to make more interesting layouts by looking at comic books. And I explained about timing and pace and, uh, and lots of kind of comic book layout principles applied to the web nobody's going to hire me for that. You know, a big mm. company in America is not going to go, oh, who's the go-to comic book design guy? Mm. It's not going to happen. So, you know, I was never strategic like that, which was probably foolish given the uh, what was probably a missed opportunity. Mm. <clears throat> well, I mean, I... I would like to thank you for writing those books, uh, particularly Transcending CSS, because it... Um, really did inspire me to, and I don't, I mean, you know, it, a full disclaimer and in interest of complete transparency, I'm not a designer and I never was and I never pretended to be. Um, and I'm not a developer these days either. I'm kind of off the tools, so to speak. We have, you know, we have staff that do that kind of stuff these days. But the thing about transcending CSS, which is a segue into, you know, one of the things I want to talk about is the thing that I learned most from, or the big kind of strategic takeaway for me, apart from the technical stuff, was um, that this concept of designing from the inside out. Now, I found myself, after reading Transcending CSS, I found myself going to conferences and speaking to people who were, you know, choosing a theme, um, you know, putting up a site for a client and then trying to get content from the client and trying to shove a square peg into a round hole. And that just did not make any sense to me at all. And then when I read your approach to designing from the inside out, it made perfect sense to me because I thought, well, how do you know what you're designing unless you know what it is you've got to work with? This is a conversation that I'm still having, and I think I'm still the minority. I think most people that I know in the web design space are still designing a website before they've got all of the content from their clients. Now, I also noticed that your podcast is sponsored by Gather Content, who I love and I use. So I want to I want to ask you when did you when did this maybe it was just natural progression for you to make sure you had all the content first before you design but first of all you know like at what point did you say okay well I need all the content before you design and second of all how the bloody hell do you get content from clients before you start work Well this leads into um an interesting point actually because and we'll we'll, we'll talk about the, the sort of history stuff later on um in terms of you know the, the whole content first, I think you're right. Actually, yeah, the the whole I think I actually said or wrote content first or content out yeah, rather does, than canvas in that was, kind of thing. Yeah, that was designing from the in, inside out. I think was the, the 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 phrase that I got away. I got from it. It's funny how these things come around. Um, but oh man, I've lost my train of thought again. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you. But it's it's early in the morning. You see, that's <laughs> that's the problem. It is. <laughs> um, in terms of content, this this is an interesting one. Um, I bet if you if you put if you put ten web designers in a caravan and ask them how many times um, or 
if they had a problem with getting content from clients, you'd probably have all 10 people go, yeah, it's a nightmare. Mm. And yes, gather content is a, is a good tool for bringing strands of content together in one place. Um, but the, the interesting thing where we've been over the last few years is that it, it, it occurred to me that, to be honest, most clients are the least qualified people to mm-hmm. actually be providing um, you with content for their website. Yeah. You know, if, if you want amateur hour, then ask a guy that works in an engineering company for content to put on his website. Mm. People make fundamental problems. Um, fundamental mistakes. I mean, first of all, you always see people talking about things in the third person, don't they? Mm. Always. Mm. They always refer to the, to the company name. They never say we or you. They never actually have a proper conversation with a customer. Mm. Um, and then they always just focus on what we do. You know, we do this and we do that and mm. we're very good at that. We're the top web design company in the village that we live in. Mm. And to be honest, that makes for very poor copy. And also from a sales point of view, from an advertising point of view, it's terribly unfocused and they're terribly unstrategic. So I got to the point really where we were thinking, I don't want to put that stuff on the on the page. Mm. I mean, a lot of web designers, I mean, famously years ago, we were working for an engineering company, which is why I always use this example. And we waited for weeks and weeks and weeks. The site was basically designed, but we hadn't got any content for several pages. And then they sent the pages through and there was like one bulleted list <laughs> per page. That was it. <laughs> Services, bulleted list. <clears throat> and you think that probably took you about 15 minutes to put together. Mm. So clients are terribly underqualified. They're the worst people to ask for content. So we shouldn't ask them for content. We mm. should actually provide the content. Mm. And that's what we've been doing over the last few years. And we've ramped it up really quite a lot recently in that we'll work with people to actually make that content, you know, and and to strategize about its structure and the flow through the website, which some people would call user experience. Mm. Um, We don't call it user experience, although we would possibly use some kind of UX tools. You know, we'll probably think about personas, Mm -hmm. but we'll also be talking to the client about what their business objectives are. Mm. And we'll then go away and we'll write content for them. You know, we'll probably do interviews with people, you know, we'll take a lot of notes, but then we will literally sit down and we will write stuff for them Mm. Um, because that's the only way that we can be confident that, the site's going to be successful. And so many people I mean, in the past have, uh, have said, well, yeah, we're, we're not terribly happy with our web design. It hasn't been, you know, it hasn't been uh, effective for us. Can you, you know, can you come in and talk to us about that? And the problem is never the actual design of the site and rarely is it the UX. Most of the time it's just down to the fact that the, the content of the site is terrible mm. and not appealing. Nobody wants to share it. Um, nobody wants to do anything with it. So that's that's our angle now um, is we just take care of that for people. Right. You know, this is really interesting. Uh, I, I, I spoke at a, Word, a WordPress meetup a few months back here in Melbourne and everyone was asking, you know, how do you deal with scope creep? How do you deal with scope creep? How do you deal with scope creep? You know, clients are a pain in the ass. They always want to change things at the last minute. And I, I said, if you've got a problem with scope creep and you think your clients are a pain in the ass, it's your fault, not your client's fault. 
And so what I'm hearing you saying here is the best way, and it's so simple and so obvious, but I think people are scared to take this approach. The best way to solve the content problem with your clients is to actually solve the content problem with your clients <laughs> instead of just expecting them to wave a magic wand and deliver it on a silver platter. Yeah, because otherwise, what are we doing? Are we just kind of, you know, pouring words into a into a, a hole in a template? Yeah. Um, I think that what we do should be about much more than that. And, you know, we don't do what I would term classical user experience work. You know, it doesn't interest me in the least. Mm. But what I am interested in is words and communication. Mm. And if we can find out what a client is trying to communicate and who to, yeah. then we can we can work on content with them that will, you know, engage that conversation. Yeah. It probably explains why your typography is so beautiful. I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't want to um, pump up your tires, but if there was like one, apart from, um, is it Richard Rudder? Is is Richard Rudder the guy that wrote the designing to a vertical rhythm post? Yes, yes I love that. Uh, apart from that article, is there one resource that, because I love typography. I mean, I've just always been fascinated with typography. So is there is there one resource that you would say, hey, if you're just starting out in design or you want to get your head around good typography, just go here. Is there one place where you get your inspiration for good typography? There's a lot of good books about type in general. Um, and I can't think of any to mine because they're on the shelf behind me. Um, There's one by Jason Santamaria at a book of I was going to mention, <laughs> yes, I was going to mention Jason Santamaria has just launched uh, On Web Typography, which is his book apart, mm. um, which I've just started and I, I haven't had time to sit and read the whole thing. I'll probably try to do that this week. Right. Uh, but that would definitely be on my on my bucket list of, of web dis of, uh, of type books. Yeah. Um, let me just have a look. What have I got behind me? <clears throat> well, while you have a look, I, I'm just now going to change the prize for this week's competition because what I've just decided is I'm going to give away a copy of Jason Santamaria's uh, new A Book Apart release. It's called On Web Typography. It's by Jason Santamaria and it is a, valued at $22.50 which gives you a paperback and an ebook uh, plus shipping and we'll ship that to wherever you are in the world. So stick around for details on how you can enter that competition a little bit later on. Um, and of course Jason Santamaria was founded um, editorially, uh, which shut down recently, which I was devastated about. I don't know if you ever used it, but it was a beautiful tool for collaborating on written content online. And I was using it to write blog posts and had editors come in and collaborate with me. And it was absolutely gorgeous, but they just couldn't find a way to make it work. So they had to shut it down, which was a real shame. Yeah, I didn't actually use it. Um, oh, I had a beta account and uh, and probably tinkered with it for for fifteen or twenty minutes, mm. but I didn't really have an application for me. Mm. I wasn't writing anything at that point, mm. so um, I didn't really have an opportunity to do that. And it, it's such such a shame. Um, mm. Such a shame that a small product like that couldn't be turned into a profitable small business. Mm. You know, not every business necessarily has to be you know bought by Adobe mm. uh, or bought by Facebook. To, to, to be successful. That's right. Um, and it's such a shame that, that they couldn't make that work. Yeah. You know, because everything was there. The product was made. You know, it was there. It was running. Um, obviously, you know, there, there, are, there are business issues there. Mm. Uh, it was, and it was the user experience, talking about user experience, it was absolutely gorgeous. 
Um, so it, it is, yeah, it's a, it is a real shame. Anyway, I digress. Um, so resources for web typography. Yeah, to be honest, I'm just looking around at my shelf because we're moving into an office space next week. I've actually packed away most of my books. <laughs> so I don't want to go rifling through a box. Um, but if you have show notes, I'll send you a couple of, uh, a couple of uh, web books that are my favorites. There's, there's a really good one, which is kind of do's and don'ts of typography, just Maybe. general stuff. Yeah. Um, and particularly for, for, for non-designers, um, when you when you pull back the covers over typography and you start to see type, you can never go back. Yeah. You can never walk past that badly kerned sign. Yeah. Without, <laughs> without basically um, infuriating your nearest and dearest yeah. on car journeys, which is what I do. Yep. I'm driving behind, uh, behind lorries on the motorway going, oh, man, look at the kerning on that. <laughs> you could drive a bus through there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny. When you started, uh, I used to have a business partner who was a designer, and we, he used to talk in, you know, I used to talk in, he used to talk in leading and kerning, and I used to talk in letter spacing and line height. When you started designing for the web, did you have to kind of get your head around the new way of talking about typography? No, not really. Um, it all kind of became sort of fairly natural fairly quickly, I think. Yeah. Um, where do you get your inspiration from? Like, you know, as, as creative people, you're constantly putting out, and I know that seems like such a wanky fan question, but I'm actually, the, the, the question I'm trying to ask is, you're constantly putting things out as a creative person. I think it's important to restock the ice bucket every now and then so you can keep dishing up lovely meals. Where do you go to, to restock your ice bucket? That's a good one, actually. I mean, I think just generally getting out and doing different things. I, I went down to a conference at uh, Deconstruct in Brighton, conference put on by Clear Left. Mm. Uh, Jeremy Keith hosted mm. it, which was last Friday. And I went down purely for the reason that I just felt that I needed a few days away just to, you know, just to recharge. Um, I'm not particularly good at you know, walking, walking around an art gallery Um, And looking for that kind of inspiration, I don't. I'm not uh, I'm not constantly, um, you know, needy in terms of inspiration for things. I'm not one of these people that kind of craves inspiration like some people crave caffeine. Mm. I think sometimes you you have to dig deep into your own resources sometimes to 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 make work happen. I've actually been more fascinated, and this this is again kind of a progression with our business really. I've actually become more fascinated with advertising mm. over the last uh, year or so uh, than I am really fascinated about web design. And I used, I used to be very enthusiastic about uh, code and about new CSS. And, you know, I'd constantly be making things well, I'd be reading the specs. This is how the, the both of the books came about. You know, I would read the specs and then think, that sounds like a cool idea. Can can I make it work? And if I can make it work in a browser, then what can we do with this? So that's why both of those books were pretty much kind of um trying to say, listen, we can just use this stuff in a really excited way. Um I'm less enthusiastic about things like CSS now. A because there's a lot of younger, better, more clever people that are doing it for me. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, Chris Coyer has written, Chris Coyer at CSS ah, Tricks yeah. has written everything about everything. Cyrus Awaydan is uh, a wonderful uh, developer in the Lebanon that now owns CSS Shapes. 
Right. Nobody can talk about CSS shapes without referring to Sarah. Right. Um, so I'm less interested in the mechanics now and much more interested in communication again. You know, what got me started in design in the first place, which is, to be honest, sometimes coming up with cheesy taglines. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm, I really do like that. So I'm finding a lot more inspiration by actually thinking about ads mm. and thinking, how can we... How can we summarize that stuff? It goes back to content again. You know, why, why ask a client to write a full page or even a couple of paragraphs about their product when you could sum up exactly what that product means and the benefits of it to sell it to a client through, you know, one sentence? Yeah. And that's, and that's where my interest really is right now. <clears throat> what's, with the, um, what's with the apes? Oh, don't, don't get me started. <laughs> okay, so here's, here's the thing. I am the second biggest Planet of the Apes fan in ah, the UK. Right, who's the first? Uh, a soap actor, all-round entertainer, called Shane Ritchie, who, if you are a follower of EastEnders, you'll know because he plays Alfie Moon, right. the, uh, the, the, the landlord of the Queen Vic, I think. I don't actually watch the show, so uh-huh. and Shane never listens to my podcast, so that's <laughs> fine. I can say what I like. Um, Shane owns the cart that the apes put Charlton Heston in in the 1968 movie. He's that much of a fan. Wow. I, I own just a, a load of plastic action figures and, and various bits of memorabilia. So right. that's, I'm a big apes nerd. Right. Excellent. But interestingly, interestingly, and, and, I, and I love apes anyway, gorillas in particular. But again, this kind of comes, it sort of sums up what we're talking about in terms of business and content and direction and everything else is that we're actually starting to work on a new header for the website right now. And one of the ideas that we're playing around with is to bring back some classic chimpanzees from 1970s ads. Mm. Um, And the tagline for the ads was, it was about tea, basically, the advertising tea. Mm -hmm. And um, And the tagline was, it's the taste. And our twist on this is gonna be, it's our taste. Mm. because that's essentially what you're hiring when you hire a web designer. Yeah, every single web designer that you ever talk to, every single web developer that you ever talk to, sure, they can build your website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, can, they can use WordPress. They can you know, put something together in Perch or whatever. Um, they can make pages. They can put type on, you know, into a CMS. I mean, the mechanics of building a web page, a website, you know, anyone can do that. Mm. What exactly are you hiring us stuff and nonsense as a company for? Mm. Well, you know, you're obviously hiring us because you have something that you want to communicate through the web to your customers. But also, often, people make decisions over, over what they like and what they don't like. You know, and that comes down to taste. And we have, you know, I'll say it about right, we have exquisite taste. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we have really good taste. Um, we know when something's right and when something's not right. And that's what people are hiring us for. And that's, again, what we're going to be focusing on um, over the next sort of, I don't know, six months in terms of business focus I mean, um, is, is explaining what we do in that way. You, you, you know, you, I have this thing called the elevation round that I normally do in the middle of a podcast, which I'm going to get to in a minute. But you've just, you're just answering all the questions that are in this. It's all about, you know, you're right. You do have exquisite taste. Your stuff looks beautiful. There's no question about that, um, and that in itself is a differentiator. That 
you know, and I, I'm on your contact page here and I'm looking at your contact form and, you know, you mentioned some pricing on your contact form, which most people are really scared of doing. Again, that's a differentiator in itself. It's a way of saying, well, we're web designers, but we're really good at what we do. Um, our, our design is, you know, impeccable. Uh, this is usually what our projects start at around this price. So, you know, we're, this is a way of filtering out who's right for us and who's not. Does that, did that ever make you nervous, putting your pricing on your contact page, for example? No. And in fact, what we need to do is we need to make it more clear, I think. Mm. Um, you know, the £5,000 that I've mentioned on that contact page really is a minimum. But most of the projects that we do take two or three weeks and will cost £10,000. Mm. And actually not just what things generally will cost, but what kind of level of work do we want to be at? Mm. And I'm a firm believer that you get the work that, or the, the level of work that you demonstrate. Mm. Um, and, you know, a big part of what we do is is filtering prospects, prospective yep. clients. Yeah. And if we can do a little bit of pre-qualification, a little bit more pre-qualification even by um, – you know, being a little bit more obvious about, for example, you know, we really don't want to be doing projects that cost less than £10,000. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the lower the value of the project, usually um, in inverse proportion is the amount of aggravation that goes with it. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> what is that about? You know, actually, you know what I think it's about? I think it's because the smaller clients that don't have, the smaller clients that have smaller budgets it's, it's actually their money that they're taking out of the bank. Out of, like it's their savings that they're taking out of the bank to invest in this website magic mojo thing that they have no idea how it works. They have no understanding of what it really means to their business. And they've got a lot of skin in the game and they're really nervous that they want to make sure they get you know a return on that, that money. And I think they're very emotional about it. Whereas the larger clients that have actually have marketing budgets or online budgets or digital budgets for these kind of projects, to them they understand that it's important and they're not actually taking the money out of their own bank account. I think there's, there's, there's an element of that. I've worked with small businesses who had good budgets and were prepared to actually treat their website. If they knew that, that, that most of their business came through the web and that the web was a, a particularly important aspect of, uh, of generating business for them, they have decent budgets. They can spend it. And if they can't, they'll borrow it. Mm. Um, I still think that, you know, at a certain end of the market, people don't understand exactly what's involved. And we still get inquiries through where, you know, can you do something for a thousand pounds? Well, you know, um, if it takes two days, then yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because I'm I'm a firm believer that just because somebody has a lower budget doesn't mean to say that they should have a poorer job. They should have an exquisite job. They just get less of it. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good. Um, yeah, that's a good way. Of and we'll it. we'll often say to somebody, listen, if that's your budget, then we can make a beautiful one-page website. Yeah, I'm going to put a link to your ethics statement underneath the show notes too, because I think it's a really great way of qualifying who you work with. I mean, it, you know, it says that you work with charities, that you say yes to work and workers' organisations, that you say no to the military, and you say no to grant funding. We don't need to go into that now, but I'm actually going to put a link in the show notes because I think people should get on over and have a read of that and just understand that uh, 
doing putting these kinds of statements on your website like i just say i don't work with anyone in the gambling industry so don't bother applying putting these kind of statements on your website and making this information publicly available along with kind of the price brackets that you're prepared to to work with and the budgets that you're prepared to work with actually just saves you a lot of time from dealing with people who aren't right for you and aren't a good fit yeah i mean we don't need to get into the 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 nitty-gritty of the ethics stuff but we have both won and lost business because of that. Yeah, exactly. Um, we've we've had some particularly nice projects coming off the back of that. We've had some projects that we didn't win ultimately, but we were in with a shout of of pitching for because of that. Um, a couple of times, particularly with the military angle, we've we've lost business. And to be honest, the people that that we that we dealt with at that stage were were unpleasant. Mm. Um, we're unpleasant about our kind of ethical standpoint on the military. And, mm. you know, that was a good warning sign. We had a narrow escape there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Pardon the pun, but you dodged a bullet. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. Australians. <laughs> um, very quickly, uh, you don't use WordPress as a content management system, uh, and most of our audience do. In fact, I think all of our audience do. But I'm just curious as to why. It's never been something that I ever used. Um, we, back in the day, you know, we rolled our own terrible ASP, little CMS with access databases uh-huh. back in the day. Um, and, you know, grew out of that and really moved into using things like Expression Engine. Ah, uh, yeah. Because it... Expression Engine was a CMS that I felt was a uh, a more grown up CMS. I mean, I always viewed WordPress as a blogging as a blogging tool, mm. and I don't think I ever kind of got beyond that. Mm. So, although I obviously realise now that it does much much more than than just the the blogging side of things, um, it kind of passed me by, mm. um, and we became quite good actually at. Uh, working with Expression Engine. Mm. Um, recently, we, we, we've used another tool. We use Perch, which is um, a lovely little CMS by uh, Drew McClellan and Rachel Andre, which is a, a edgeofmyseat.com. A brilliant, um, brilliant little CMS. But my other, my other thing with uh, with WordPress, from what I know about, with the little I do know about it, and people will obviously go, "Oh my God, he's mad," um, is that. We do a lot of designing with code. I mean, we talked about Sketch and other things earlier on, but a big part of my work is designing with HTML and CSS. Mm. And in the same way that I don't want a a graphic tool to get in the way of getting my idea out through Sketch or Photoshop or Fireworks or something like that, when it comes to writing code, I just want to be throwing things into the browser um, and moving things around. And I don't want there to be a lot of friction um, so the flexibility in terms of the code that, that we write is, is really important. Um, and WordPress is sort of theming system. People are going to be throwing up their hands in horror going, what the hell does he think he's talking about? But the whole kind of concept of WordPress theming, um, rather than just being able to take any HTML and then apply a CMS to it, mm. that's just never, it's never sat well with me. Yeah. I must say, I had a look at the the demo of Perch, and 
I actually think for a lot of the a lot of the sites that I've built over the years for small business clients, Perch would have been perfect. It's it kind of feels to me like it allows you to do exactly what you need it to do and nothing else. Yeah, I mean they they've elaborated on the product over the last couple of years and added in more features. But at the very essence, you have perch tags. And what you can do is you can define little elements of HTML. So it can be as simple as a paragraph. You can make more complex templates that could be, for example, figures and figure captions or anything. It's completely flexible. And then you can just take even a static site, something that's just been made with HTML and and CSS, add a perch tag, load that page into the perch control panel, and boom, you have yourself an editable region. Mm. And then obviously you can define what type of editing um, you allow, you know, mm. markdown or what you see is what you get or whatever. And that's it. Mm. So at the very simplest level, you can quickly just make a, a client able to edit their copy. Yeah. Um, and that works really, really well with our workflow because we tend to build HTML and CSS templates. We'll get the client to sign off on those rather than on looking at a sketch file or a PSD. Yep. And from then on, it's a pretty straightforward process to add in the perch tags and, and there's the, the client site. You know, yeah. I mean, and I think the quickest that I turned a, 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 a static site into a completely content-managed perch site was it's about two hours, including installing it on the server. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, uh, no, it's, it's a lovely tool. I'm going to put a link to uh, grabaperch.com in the show notes because I think it's definitely worth checking out for people who just need something really fast and really small. And I'm, not, you know, I'm not saying that WordPress is not good at what it does, but I'm saying that hey, it's not, you know, the perfect tool for every situation. So I'll put a link to Perch in the show notes. Uh, very quickly, um, I'm also going to put a link to your contract killer on GitHub, which is an open source contract for clients. I want to thank you very much for that because it saved me a lot of time when I was starting out. Um, I don't think we need to talk about it, but I just want to put a, a link in the show notes for people. But I do just very quickly want to drill through the elevation round, if uh, that's okay, Andy, and just ask you a series of quick questions about being a freelancer, and hopefully you can just give me some quick answers uh, off the top of your head. Sound good? Rock and roll. All right. What's the number one thing any freelancer or consultant needs to know? You need to be adaptable. Oh, very good. I like that. Uh, what's the best thing you've ever done to find new customers? Pick up the telephone <laughs> and ask them. <laughs> oh, that's gold. Uh, how do you stop competing on price? Stop talking about money. Oh, that is excellent. Um, any tips on writing better proposals? Uh, write in your own voice. Don't try to write as if you're a big company. Yeah, I like that. No one said that. That makes perfect sense. Favorite? Do you have a favorite tool for CRM? CRM. Mm, customer relationship management. Oh man, I'm terrible. I just use an Excel spreadsheet. Right. Really? That's old yeah, school, no. man. I love it. Yeah. You're, no. you're a true craftsman, aren't you? Um, what's the best way to keep a project on track? Tell the client what you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Any ideas for getting referrals? Do nice work that people like and talk about. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love it. And finally, what's the number one thing you can do to differentiate yourself? Be yourself. 
Yeah, that's great. Kasper Hubinger from Germany, a company called Market Press, actually said, be your beep self. And um, <laughs> and I almost fell off, almost fell over when he said that, but I left it in because he was so passionate about it. And I think it's a good point because a lot of people spend a lot of time being who they think they're supposed to be and they end up just being kind of a watered down carbon copy of everyone else. So I think being yourself is really good advice. This, you know, we, are, you know, I'll be honest, we are not the sharpest knife in the drawer when it comes to some aspects of, of web design and development anymore. You know, whereas in the past, we would have been fabulous at implementation. You know, we could, we could, we could develop um, a website as good as anybody else. These days, not that good. Sometimes, mm. you know, I mean, we obviously work with people that can do great work. So any, any prospective clients listening to this, <laughs> we do great work. But there are, there are people that do things better and they're much more interested in that kind of stuff than we are. Mm. Um, web design in general has become very uh, tools-based. Mm. Certainly the conversations that we have about web design talk about a lot about tools, a lot about process. Mm. Um, and, I, and I do think that a lot of the voices that we hear about what makes good web design these days is much more about user experience and research and testing and, you know, agile and all this kind of stuff. Very little of which interests me in the least. Mm. So what am I going to do? Am I just going to like, you know, curl into a ball and pretend it's not happening? Well, no, what I'm going to try to do, which is what we're doing with our business right now, is to say, listen, what do you focus on? Mm. And actually, when we, when we come to look at the stuff that we still love to do, whether it's branding work, content writing, uh, overall communication, that becomes a differentiator in its own right because people can look at something and go, yeah, I, you know, I really like that design. Again, it's back to the taste. And that's how you differentiate yourself, I think, mm. just by finding what it is that you really, really want to do and then being good at it. Mm. Like... Uh, developing a color palette inspired by Martin Scorsese's film Hugo, for example. Ah, well, that's just a silly little throwaway that uh, that uh, that we do. Yeah, but you know, you get you get inspiration for things all over the place. But um, this is what I, but I like this because it tells me a little bit about you. It tells me about the personality of the company. It tells me about. I mean, I'm a huge Scorsese fan. I haven't seen Hugo, but instantly I see this and I say, "Well, this is useful." Here's a color palette that I can pinch. Thank you. It's based on quality. It tells me a little bit about your personality, and I don't see anyone else developing color palettes based on Scorsese's film, so it's unique, it's individual, there's some personality in it. Well, I hope so. Um, that particular project was for a web app, um, and their particular brief at the time, it's changed since, but their brief at the time was, we don't want our application to look like every other analytics and statistics application. We want something mm. that has more personality. Mm. Um, and so we approached it as we would approach to, um, you know, any other creative job. Mm. Um, and, you know, we, we get our inputs from all over the place. Mm. Uh, it's fascinating stuff. I could literally, I could sit here for hours and chat with you. Um, when I reached out to you, actually, to get you on this podcast, you first of all, you politely declined um, saying, you know, these are not the droids you're looking for because I don't use WordPress. And I had to come back to you and kind of convince you to come on and tell you that I was genuine and that you actually were one of my web design heroes. So thank you for believing me and taking the time to come on the podcast. I really appreciate it. No, no, I've really enjoyed it actually. Oh, good. Um, um, sorry, go on. 
No, I was going to say, no, I, and uh, maybe the next time we come out to Australia, um, it would be nice to get together. That would be fabulous. I, 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 definitely, if you're in Australia, please hook me up and I will come meet you and show you around and show you a good time, as they say, and I'll take you to Bondi and you can, you know, meet the vet or, or whoever it is that's in Bondi. Um, well, a couple of times we've spent our English winter in Australia. Uh-huh. Um, we A couple of years ago, we, we, we did a... Uh, a workshop tour with um, John Alsop and Maxine Sharon, right? Um, which basically paid for a six-week uh, stay in Australia. We based ourselves in Perth mm-hmm. and uh, and then travelled around. So actually, our our hope we don't know whether it's going to work yet, but our hope is that we'll do the same thing again this coming year, twenty fifteen. Awesome. Um, well, so uh, please keep in touch. I would uh, love to share you a beer while you're in town. Um, uh, listen, just before we finish up, we should announce this competition. So I'm going to give away Ooh, yes. a copy of Jason Santa Maria's book uh, on web typography. I'm going to give a copy away of that, a hard copy and an electronic copy. You'll get it in the mail. Um, so to enter this competition, we were chatting before uh, off camera. What did we decide that we were going to get the readers to tell us? I thought that we should ask a question about contracts. Yeah, that's right. So, which is a yes, perfect. So, the question is do you use, so to, to enter the draw to win a copy of Jason Santa Maria's On Web Typography, answer this question and leave your comment underneath the episode of this podcast, which will be at wpelevation.com slash Andrew Clark, or one word, uh, and Clark is an E on the end. Um, and tell us, do you have contracts in place for your clients? And if not, why not? What is stopping you from having a contract in place? Um, of course, you can you know use Andy's open source contract killer at GitHub. But if you don't have contracts in place with your clients, why not? What is stopping you? Leave your comment under the video, and I'll get Andy to swing by in a couple of weeks and award the prize. Um, Andrew Clark, I sincerely want to thank you for spending so much time with us on the podcast. I really do appreciate it, uh, and I wish you all the best for the future of Stuff and Nonsense and your move into the office space. I, I'm, I hope you're very excited about that. Uh, where can people reach out and, and say thanks? Are you on Twitter or? Yeah, they can reach me on Twitter at Malarkey. Brilliant. Um, or our website is stuffandnonsense.co.uk. Beautiful. I'll put all that stuff in the show notes. The other day um, when I was doing some research for this podcast, we were in the office here with my um, assistant, Jin, and we were listening to some Style Council records on audio uh, from the 80s because I know you're a huge Paul Weller fan. Is that right? No, no, I am a Paul Weller fan. If you're going to listen to the Style Council, you have to listen to Walls Come Tumbling Down. That's oh, my yeah. favourite Style Council track. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I remember that in the 80s. I, I mean, I was born in the early 70s, so I remember growing up and hearing that song in the 80s. It is a great track. In fact, I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes as well. Hey, final question. Who would you like me to try and interview and why? Oh, does it have to be a webby person or can nah, it be? it can be anyone. Really? Yeah. Oh God! You just you threw the most difficult question in right at the end, and I've had no chance. Okay, I I think that in terms of the web, who would I like to listen to? Um, I actually enjoy listening to Cameron Moll. Um, I think Cameron Moll um, is one of my uh, design heroes. Okay, um, I respect Cameron a lot. Um, but the person that I would really love to hear more of is not a webby person. Um, uh, it's actually a guy called John Hegarty, 
who mm-hmm. is uh, one of the partners at Bartle, Bogle and Hegarty, the advertising agency. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's been writing some fabulous books recently. He wrote Hegarty on advertising and uh, Hegarty on creativity, which is all about kind of creative ideas. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've always, always, always loved Hegarty's work. So yeah, let's let's get John Hegarty on a podcast. All right, John Hegarty and Cameron Mole. I'm going to try and track you both down. I'm coming to get you courtesy of Andrew Clark from Stuff and Nonsense. So keep your eyes on your inbox. Uh, hey, thank you so much, Andy, for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, please keep in touch if you are coming out to Australia. Will do. See you soon. Thanks. Bye for now. Well, I certainly hope you enjoyed getting to know Andy Clark as much as I enjoyed interview interviewing him. Uh, I am still a little bit shocked. Uh, I'm still a little bit kind of pinching myself. Um, I can't believe that actually happened. Interviewing Andy Clark is something that I have been fantasizing about really since I started reading his book some seven years ago I thought wow wouldn't it be great one day to uh I mean I don't even know what a podcast was back then but I thought wouldn't it be great one day to be kind of talking with those people and learning from those people Andy Clark and Andy Budd at Clear Left Richard Rudder at Clear Left Jason Sandamaria whose book I'm giving away uh Chris Coyer these guys have been inspiring me for years and I'm absolutely thrilled that I managed to get Andy on the podcast so I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did Of course, this episode is sponsored and brought to you by Video User Manuals, the plugin that puts over 60 video tutorials in your client's WordPress dashboard to teach them how to use WordPress. It's how we stay alive and it's how we keep the doors open, the lights on and food in our bellies. The Video User Manuals plugin is available for $1 for your first month so you can try it out on some client sites and see how powerful that thing really is. Check it out at videousermanuals.com. Subscribe to the podcast at wpelevation.com slash subscribe and you will get access to a free report, I think, these days. The 101 Ways to Elevate Yourself and Demand Higher Fees. I think that's what you get. Anyway, you get something when you subscribe to the podcast for free. It's either a free webinar or a free report or a free training video. Uh, so subscribe to the podcast. So you And also, the most important thing is you get an email every Thursday letting you know that an episode has just been published and uh, what you'll learn and an invitation to come check it out. Okay, you can visit the show notes for this episode, episode number 50 at wpelevation.com slash Andrew Clark. That's A-N-D-R-E-W-C-L-A-R-K-E. That's right, it has an E on the end. Leave the comments under your video and tell us if you're not using a contract with your clients, why not? What is the number one thing holding you back? And uh, you could win a copy of Jason Santamaria's new book on web typography, available at A Book Apart. You'll get a physical copy and an electronic copy. How awesome is that? Uh, Now, next week, if I can compose myself enough to even think about doing another episode, Next week is episode number 51, and I'm interviewing Conrad Igusa. I think that's how I pronounce his name. I'm sure he's going to tell me it's not, and I do apologize, Conrad, if I got that wrong. Conrad is the founder of Publicize and the co-owner of Columbia Reports, which is the largest English news publication in South America. He was a writer for the technology publication VentureBeat, and he has founded an angel investor-backed startup in Silicon Valley, We're going to learn all about that and more next week on the WP Elevation podcast with Conrad. Until then, go and leave us some five-star reviews at iTunes because it really helps us come up in the search results. And you know what to do. Go Elevate.